the beauty of being from Los Angeles is that you can root for so many different teams, whether it's a team here in L.A., a team in Orange County, a team in San Diego, San Francisco, or around the country. You have the transplants who call L.A. home, and you have the native people, like myself, born and raised here. And today's guest, Gary Klein, joins us. I'm Bethel Duran. I grew up in Carson delivering the L.A. Times with my parents. We would drive around town and get the newspapers and put them in the news rack. Back when you used to get a quarter and go buy a newspaper in front of the donut shop. You guys remember that, right? Well, Gary Klein grew up in the L.A. area dreaming of getting into the L.A. Times. Not just as a writer, but the dude could actually throw. He was a baseball player. So, you know, a lot of times you get that stereotype of, well, you're a writer because you couldn't play. This might be the only one who can actually start somewhere for a team. I mean, if I'm starting a baseball team, I'm looking around the roster. No offense, Dylan Hernandez or Plaschke. I'm drafting Gary Klein first. When you cover a professional football team, you don't go to their stadium. The Rams play at the Coliseum, but their training facility is in Thousand Oaks. And wherever you may live, you don't live by there. So a man who's spending a lot of time on the freeways these days, Gary Klein. So when you leave your house in the morning for practice, how long does it take you? It's a straight hour for me, Beto. Mm-hmm. But, but I have to say, as someone who grew up in Southern California and has driven the freeways for all these years, it's almost become for me a, a relaxing time. I've got a straight hour up on the 118 and the 210 to the facility and an hour back. And I can get a lot accomplished, actually, that's during that time. The Arrive Early, Leave Late podcast <laughs> is here for you, Gary. Exactly. That's when they tell us, like, we have all these experts that tell us, okay, it should be this amount of time. Try that other time. And I'm thinking, here's how long, my, how long I want my podcast. For the commute. Uh, so if it takes me 45 minutes, I want a 45 minute podcast. That's how when I go and look for one, I'm like, okay, how long am I in the car right now? So I feel you. I feel your pain. See, you get to go to Thousand Oaks. I do the Chargers. I do the post game. So I go down to Costa Mesa. Mm-hmm. And people are like, well, don't you just go where they play? No, because <laughs> where they play is just Sundays. Right. What's it like? Well, this is your second year on the Rams beat, right? Third, third, year. third, third year. year. So when they showed up, you took over. What's it like covering the NFL for you? Well, it's been great. I mean, I really enjoyed it because before this, I was covering USC for 14 years, mm-hmm. which was a great beat full of insane stories, great stories. Oh, we're going to get yeah. into those. You know, but when the Rams came back, even before they came back, when there was just a possibility that there would be an NFL team here, I let our editors know that I'd be interested in doing that. And when they made that announcement, I kind of was doing both at the same time. I was doing USC and the Rams initially because we didn't have one, anyone to do it. I knew they were searching probably for someone to do it, but I wanted to show them that I was the person that should be doing it. So I just Why? jumped in and did both. Well, I'm jumping in on you. Why leave USC and go do the football? Well, I had been doing that for a long time. And as I said, it was a great beat. Yeah. There's great stories every year, a new class of kids coming in. But I looked at it as an opportunity. You know, I'm the father of four kids, and I tell my kids all the time, you got to be looking for new challenges. You can't be afraid to take something on. And I thought, I kind of got to walk the walk. This is something, this would be something new for me going into an area, still football, which of course I can cover. But the business side of it, of the NFL and everything that went Mm -hmm. with it, I looked at it as an opportunity to challenge myself, you know, add something new to the times, which where I've worked for a long time. How many years? Well, since the mid 80s, you know, going back to covering preps and picking up the phone in the San Fernando Valley and saying, what's the score of the Reseda Cleveland high game? (laughs) (laughs) Now they just send a tweet to Sondheimer. Exactly. That's how you get your score. Wait, so you started off in the mid 80s with the LA Times as an intern or? Just as someone at that point, like a freelance kid that would come in and answer the phones. 
on in the Valley Edition on Friday nights. Not even writing. You were just answering the phones. Answering the phones. And then eventually putting together a paragraph or two and then a story and getting more responsibility. And I was really fortunate because I came up, it's a, obviously a completely different time yeah. now in terms of the career paths for everyone. You know, to be working for a regional edition of the LA Times and having the benefit of working with some great young colleagues and some great editors that took the time to help you and edit and everything about it. It was like, it was a great experience and working in, a, in almost like an incubator of some really talented people that have gone on to, you know, some great careers. So we hear those people like the big time Hollywood agents. I started in the mail room or yeah. uh, you really did start, can it get lower than no, the phones? No, <laughs> it, could, it could not. And especially at that time, but it was such a eye-opening experience. It was so much fun. You know, we grew up as sports fans. We both grew up in Southern California. So to be working even on a little freelance basis, picking up the phones and doing that, reporting high school football scores and getting information and reporting and turning those into bigger stories. I had never had so much fun in my life. And I haven't, this fun hasn't stopped. And really the challenge, everything that goes with being in the career, you know, that we have, um, it's continued. We're going to get back to the Rams and USC and Pete Carroll <laughs> and the battles you had with him back and forth and watching Snoop at practice and how the NFL doesn't let you see anything. But let's, all right, I'm interested in the Gary Klein. I've known you for a while, have, having been around you at USC. Did you play minor league baseball? There's a myth out there that you never want to confirm or deny. Did you play minor league baseball? No, I, I, I played a couple of seasons of minor league baseball. You did? Yeah, yes. Okay, because yes. every time we ask, people would tell me to ask you and you're like, oh, yeah. Uh, but it was like, are they messing with me? Because you, and then I would follow up with you and you're like, you would change the subject immediately. You know, it's, it's obvious. It's not something I'm embarrassed about, but, of it's, course just, not. but it's, but I it's, would wear it on a shirt. Yeah. I played in the minor, especially on a sports page where nobody can play any kind of sports. Well, it was uh, something that obviously, I mean, I, I love doing played baseball when I was a kid, like a lot of us in this business love sports. I actually was able to compete in them and, you know, get to a certain level, you know, it kind of informed who I became, but I'll tell you, when I was in college, there was a time when I was in college. Where'd you go to school? I went to Pasadena City College, Cal State LA, and then Cal State Northridge. Look at you. So you played with John Herbold at Cal State LA? No, before Herbold. Oh, before, before Herbold. Herbold. Oh, he is legendary. But I will tell you that there was a time when I was in college where I'd play like on Sundays. I played for a team called the East LA Monarchs during the summer, which was some really good college prospects, not like myself. And then uh, some former players from the minor leagues, and then also just some of the guys, the beer league guys, 30-year-old guys that would come yeah. out and play. But I remember talking about arrive early, leave late, and this has kind of been my MO even as a journalist. I'd get to the park really early, and we were playing at East LA College. I remember we probably had an 11 o'clock game, so I was there at 9. And I'd go, and I'd just get there two hours early just to sit in the dugout, just to be in a quiet place, right, and open the LA Times and read the paper, right? So I'm sitting there in the dugout one morning, and I look up, and there's this guy. He peers in the dugout. He's wearing a Kansas City Royals cap. And he goes, I'm a scout for the Kansas City Royals. And I just want you to know that we would never draft a player that reads the newspaper in the dugout. <laughs> okay? So I'm like, whatever, 18, 19 years old, and I'm mortified. I'm thinking, my career is over. I, I have no, you could read. I have no chance. <laughs> this is a small community. Every scout in Southern California is going to know that you know, Gary Klein reads the paper in the dugout. We're never drafting him. Fast forward two or three years later, I'm coming out of Cal State Northridge, and I had a pretty good season there. And I got drafted in the 16th round 
by the Kansas City Royals. No, not th- that guy. <laughs> yes. That guy. Not that guy. Okay. Not the safe scout, but by that team. So it was kind of funny how things come full circle. <laughs> that reminds me, uh, in Bull Durham, uh, the, the, the clown that was in there, he said, oh, I, I saw him read a book one time with words. <laughs> so you get drafted, and then how high did you get in the minor leagues? Just a high, high single A. So I only played two years. Where at? Butte, Montana. Charleston, South Carolina, and, and Fort Myers, Florida. Oh, so you went to the Florida League, uh-huh. and then the Rookie League, and oh, so you're like, well, there, there, you've got the order kind of going right, but yeah, uh, yeah. but what so ended up buses. happening? Yeah, I was on buses, and you know, did the, the whole 16 thing. Sixteen-hour bus ride, did the whole thing. So, what made you think I want to be a sports writer? The Royals kind of made me think that <laughs> when, when they said, you know what, thanks very much, it's been great having you, but uh, maybe you should look for a, another career. And so, you know, I was a journalism major at oh, Cal State Northridge. Okay. Broadcast journalism, actually. You know, eventually found my way, like I said, to the Valley Edition of the Times, and um, the rest is so journalism you, history. You're a pitcher, outfielder? Yeah, I was a pitcher. So you're a pitcher. Uh-huh. All right, so you're in the minor leagues, and let's just say your last year, are you thinking, okay, this isn't working out, I need to get a job, was it, let me go be a writer? No, I was one of those guys that was like, I'm never going to stop playing till they rip the uniform off my back. But I think when I got released, there was a realization because my thought was, okay, you got to contact another team, you know, other scouts, you know, there's another way to do this. There's plenty of stories of people that, you know, get their opportunity. But I think at that point, having played against some of the people I played against and saw where my talent was compared to where some of these guys who were on the fast track to higher levels was, I think there was a realization that, you know what, this is probably over for you. It's been great. It's been a great ride and worked really hard to get to this point, but probably time to look for something else. <laughs> Who'd you play against that like made it big? Trying to think. I mean, those were back in the years where like um, Kurt Stillwell was a big, you okay. know, from the Reds, those teams were good and... Jeff Hamilton, who came up with the yeah. Dodgers. I know some Dodger fans, you know. Yeah, have, third whatever. baseman Jeff Hamilton. Yeah, All right. so, World Series champion Jeff yeah, Hamilton. Also a lot, kind of that era. Glenn Allen Hill, I think, came up with the okay. Blue Jays. And anyway, th- but you could just see as someone who was not throwing 95 miles an hour, wasn't even throwing 90 miles an hour, that this was probably uh, not going to be your, you're not going to plateau uh, up in the big leagues. So you're a broadcast journalism major, go work at the LA Times. Mm-hmm. And then you started answering the phones, but then you started doing preps. Yeah, I did preps for a long time. I mean, again, I don't want to say it was a completely different era, but that it was, was that was the route world. you traveled. You you got in with whether it was the LA Times, whether it was a small paper somewhere else, and you worked your way up. You did preps. If you did a good job, you maybe got elevated to the colleges and you eventually work your way up. That to, was your minor leagues the right there. Yeah. And uh, that was at a time when the LA Times had big regional editions in the Valley and in Orange County. Uh, Everyone's goal, ultimately, was to get to the quote-unquote big leagues downtown, writing for the main section. Like I said, there were, there were, I mean, Tim Brown, Gordon Monson, Sam Farmer. There, there was, I worked with so many, you know, young people at the time and saw how their careers advanced too. But we were all really fortunate because we were working in this, like I said, I want to call it an incubator where it was fun. It was competitive. We had great editors. Mike Heiserman, who still works mm-hmm. here, um, was out there. And you had opportunities to write stories that would get picked up, you know, by the main section, which was like insane. You know, if your story went downtown. Yeah. Those kinds of things. And the people in Orange County, Mike DiGiovanna, Chris Foster, Chris Dufresne, Mike Penner, all these. I, I read ter- them all. Yeah, terrific yeah, writers. And so as for someone who grew up in Southern California, reading the LA Times, reading Jim Murray, reading Scott Osler, all Adam these Muddle, people. All them, yeah, yeah, it was to work. 
you know, at the LA Times was, uh, was something. And even to this day, I'll tell you, Beto, when I was a kid, I used to go to the Coliseum all the time to watch USC and UCLA, both of whom played at the Coliseum back then. Yeah, people don't know that, but right? they did. And you could get in cheap and you could sit behind the end zone. And I tell people this, that we would, you know, watch the first half of the game and then spend the second half running relay races on the track, which would, the Coliseum had a track at the time. We'd be running relay races behind the bleachers at the peristyle end. Are you serious? Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of how I grew up watching those games. And I'd peer up in the press box and hear John Ramsey, you know, saying, ball carried, you know, number yeah. 28, Anthony Davis. And I'd look up and go, that's where that voice is coming from. And so now to really have spent, you know, 17 years going to the Coliseum to work, whether it's coming in to cover SC or covering the Rams, it's been incredible every time I walk in there. And I know you've talked about this on the podcast with other people when you walk into those venues that you were in as a kid. Every time I walk into the Coliseum, I think about, I can't believe. Do you look over at the personnel? Do I? Well, I have to. I do that all the time. No, but I'll say when you walk in at first. Well, actually, now by the, the, way, the way I enter, yeah. And I think of the first game you know, I ever went to was a it USC game. It takes you back game. to being a little kid. Absolutely. And also to be able to work there, essentially. I mean, yeah. I'm out in Thousand Oaks. I'm down here, wherever it is. But to cover games at a venue that you spent so many hours mm-hmm. of your childhood at, it's, you know, it's pretty, pretty great. Yeah, like that's for me when I walk into Dodger Stadium, mm-hmm. no matter what, you have to go to the top deck. And I remember my brother Gabriel would always, we would get tickets in the reserve level. Mm-hmm. And I always look down, and I'm like, all right, cool. So whenever I'm at Dodger Stadium on the field, which a lot, you know, the majority of our friends have never been on the field because you can't get down there security. I look, always look up at the reserve and there's always one section. For some reason, I always remember sitting in this one section. I don't know if we did or didn't. But, I, <laughs> but you remember it. But I'm, now I'm thinking, okay, that's my spot. And I always look up there before every game. I'm like, damn, that's just cool where we're coming. And it wasn't supposed, this podcast wasn't supposed to be, this is your life, Gary Klein. Right. But right. it is now. <laughs> it's evolved. So you covered USC in its heyday. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking heyday for the people who are younger, where Pete Carroll was rocking and rolling. Matt Liner was coming through. Like I mentioned, Snoop Dogg is on the sidelines. And Pete Carroll had everybody on the sideline. If you just want to walk on off the street, bring your family, you can watch practice. Right. Then it changes because of sanctions. And you go to the NFL and it's, hey, you get to watch two minutes of us stretching. Like the different worlds, Mm -hmm. how has that been for you? I mean, you kind of roll with it. It kind of got that way at USC too. Did it? Yeah, I mean, in stages with Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian and the university and just the way universities handle media now, the access is shrunk everywhere. It's nowhere like it was in the heyday when we would talk to Pete Carroll on the field after practice. I would talk to Pete Carroll as he was walking to the locker room. I would talk to Pete Carroll when him and the players were coming out of the locker room to go to dinner and on their way to the offices. USC never lost a game because the media was in a practice or the fans were in a practice. It's just, it's completely changed. A different kind of, it's different the, kind of thing. When I cover the Chargers, I, I came from that college world. I knew at UCLA, you can't get anything. Mm-hmm. But the but it's everybody in the NFL where it's, you get to watch 15 minutes right. and they tell you, which... As a reporter, it's kind of good because you know your day, you're structured, you're doing a lot of stuff, but it's also bad yeah. because I can't imagine for a, a print reporter because you can't get anything. Well, as a radio guy, it's different, but as a print, I can't imagine how hard it is to do your job. Yeah, there are a lot of people that like that, the fact that you can't be in there because you can plan your day. Well, I'm not going to see anything. Yeah. But I, again, came up in an era where I was there. I stood you know, in Howard Jones Field against that fence watching practices mm-hmm. for years and years and years. And yeah, it was hot, whatever. But when you're in there and you have an opportunity to see what's happening, it's not like, hey, I'm seeing this reverse that USC is working on uh, you know, and I'm going to write about. That that's, has nothing to do with it. You get an opportunity to see how does the coach relate to the players? What are the, how are the players in practice? 
Did something happen that might, you know, enable me to, when I'm writing a story about this person, give it some color by using what I've observed in practice? Those kinds of opportunities as a beat reporter are things I really miss covering the NFL. You kind of have to work around it. You kind of have to be creative and, and mm-hmm. imaginative and try and get players who are controlled by their agents, by their marketing people, by the NFL. You want to try and get into situations where maybe you're getting them where they're not necessarily in those controlled atmospheres. And it's difficult with pro athletes, but it is. But that's your job. You know, you need to hustle. You need to figure out a way to do it where it's not just kind of by the numbers. Well, I always talk to uh, high school kids or college kids. It's always, I tell a story of like, I found out Kobe Bryant was shooting at four o'clock at Staples Center. I was there at three thirty. Mm-hmm. Like the janitors were like, "What are you doing here?" I'm like, "That he might be here." It happened once a month, maybe, but I didn't want to miss that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I like Sunday mornings looking at your tweets because it's eight o'clock, maybe, and you're at the Coliseum for a one o'clock game, or if you're on the road, I think right. Uh, well, yeah, but see, six a.m. You're there chalking the field. That goes back to when I first. Am start. I wrong? Are you not no, there? That no, early? you're you're correct. And I mean, part of that and is my own. To you. you know, <laughs> part of that is when I first started covering the beat, Chris Dufresne, who was our national college football writer, terrific reporter, long history of covering the Rams and different things. He told me, you know, Gary, there's the three-hour rule. Because I would say, what time are you going to get to the Coliseum? He'd go, there's the three-hour rule. You want to be there three hours before. That way you never, you know, you if you get a flat tire on the way in, there's time to fix it. If you forgot your computer cord, you can, you know, make that happen. So generally speaking, it was three hours. But as my career progressed, I just felt like even then I felt kind of rushed for whatever reason, which sounds I know ridiculous. Exactly what you're talking about. And so I just kind of got earlier and earlier. And now, even though like for a home game, ideally for me, it is to be there five hours early, which sounds ridiculous to a fan. And I'm sure when people see those tweets, they're just getting out of bed or whatever. But for yes, me, I, I have hit no traffic. I've parked. I've set up in the press box. And I can do some whatever pregame work I want to do and then just wait for everyone else to arrive and everyone else comes in and I can hear all their problems about how it's crazy outside or this happened, this happened. I couldn't find parking. <laughs> oh, there's some, they, they, somebody took my spot. Yeah. The and tailgaters. So, so for me, I just feel if I'm going to do my job well, I'm best when I'm in a good frame of mind and not hurried and not worrying about that stuff. So I just like to get there early. Yeah. What's it like sitting in an empty venue? Oh, it's the best. Right? Right. I, I have trouble I telling up. people this yeah. story. I'm a baseball player. One time I was up in, you know, at Stanford, one of my sons was playing in a water polo tournament up there. And I just walked over to the baseball diamond and just sat. It wasn't baseball season. I just went and sat there. And I thought, I'm really at peace when I'm in this kind of venue, right? Just quiet. And I looked over and there's another guy older than me sitting down at the end. And uh, and as I was walking out, I said something to him and he ended up having an exchange and actually sitting down and talking to him. And he was former baseball coach at Saddleback College. He said, I was telling him my experience. He goes, I feel the exact same way. So here we are on the opposite ends of the bleachers, but both kind of just taking it in almost like it sounds ridiculous because it's not a religious you know building or anything. But for some people, especially if you were an athlete, I think there's kind of a quiet the memories you, flood back. Yeah, and just a, whatever you're ever you're pondering, it's a they're comfortable places. So getting there early, there's there's some of that too. I remember reading Plasty. I don't know how many years ago he wrote this that the best place to have lunch is at the top of Dodger Stadium, where mm-hmm. it's open by the stadium, and you see people going and taking their lunch, and they're just sitting there quietly, and nobody bothers you, and you're just absorbing mm-hmm. what it is Chavez Ravine. And I, I, I was telling myself, I'm going to do that one day. And I realized, <laughs> I don't have an office job. I don't have an, a, a lunch break. I'm always at these places. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. What was it like being around with Pete Carroll during his heyday? You know, How did you get along with it? I know you used to talk to him a lot, but... 
I got along well with him. I mean, I think he understood the role the media played in that. But I always think back to, I had covered it for one year in 2002, and before the 2003 season, there was a situation right on the eve of the season where one of the players got in trouble, and so where something happened in one of the dorms. So we had to pursue that. And I remember after practice, I was standing out in the middle outside Heritage Hall, and here comes Carol's top assistant walks by, and I'm asking him about, hey, who did curfew last night? You know, I'm starting to ask him questions, and he goes scurrying up to the offices, and then here comes Ed Ogeron, who was the defensive line coach at the time. I'm going, hey, asking him questions, and then he scurries upstairs. All of a sudden, Pete Carroll's coming down into the middle of a public square at USC, and he's screaming at me. I mean, I'm taller than him, but he's basically in my face going, you're trying, what are you trying to do? You're trying to tear this program down, blah, 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 blah. And I'm giving it back. So I'm doing my job. I'm asking the questions I need to ask. And he goes storming up to his office. And I remember calling my editor. I remember walking away from that because that had never happened to me where I had the coach screaming at me about that. And I remember calling and it was Mike Heiserman. He's saying, hey, just whatever. It's fine. You stood your ground. You're asking the right questions. And I thought, yeah. So anyway, 10 minutes later, I get a call from USC Sports Information Director. He says, hey, Pete Carroll wants to see you in his office. And so I go upstairs oh. and, he, and he goes, I'm really sorry. You know, I know you're just doing your job. But it was one of those exchanges that in our business, it's almost healthy to have because all of a sudden you draw the line. They understand even though you're around all the time as the beat writer, you're not on the team. That's not your job. Periodically throughout my years covering Pete Carroll, there would be instances that would come up and that line would always be redrawn. But the funny thing is, the day after that happened, I was walking through the USC campus and one of the assistant coaches kind of was standing off to the side and he goes, hey, Gary. And I go, what? And he goes, that was great. Yesterday. <laughs> he goes, that was great. You were giving it right back to him. And I thought, oh, okay. So I kept walking a little bit more. And then I saw a couple of players. I remember they were these two cornerbacks and they were kind of giggling. And I said, what's going on? And they said, that was awesome. <laughs> so I thought, okay. You stood your uh, ground. I, I stood my ground and built some credibility. Again, because you've been in locker rooms. Yeah, uh, they try to tell you. Right. They will try and bend you. They'll try and intimidate you. Some people, not all, very few, in fact. And you've got to do your job, no matter how often you're there. Because by nature, I'm a pretty friendly person. I'm going to try and get along with everyone, right? Yeah. And You're just but, doing your job. Yeah. But you're, you're not friendly. on payroll. Right. You're friendly, but you're not friends. Mm -hmm. And you can keep that in perspective. But it's difficult sometimes for those people who you're around all the time. You see them more than you see your family yeah. sometimes. Right. And you have a lot in common with them. You yeah. have some good conversations. But when it comes down to it, you got to do your job. And the real pros on that side, they understand that too. They know that you're doing your job. They may not always like it. It may not always hold them in the best light. But if you do stand your ground and you do your job in a professional way and you're fair and balanced, then I think there's a respect there. In LA, if you work the media the right way, you give just enough, you have some charisma, you can win the town. Mm -hmm. Pete Carroll did that during those days. He opened it up. And I see a lot of that in McVeigh, mm -hmm. the coach of the Rams, where if you were to put him at Staples Center during a Laker game and they show the celebrity montage, Jack, Denzel, they put him up there without his name on the bottom, he's going to get an ovation. Hmm. This guy is becoming a star in LA. Mm -hmm. What's it like dealing with such a young coach? Was he 32? 32 years old. I see a lot of similar qualities that I saw in Carroll. I mean, Carroll was older when he was at SC than McVeigh is in the NFL. And McVeigh grew up in the NFL and is working within the media landscape of the NFL. It's not like he's as open as Carroll was in those days. There are definitely some similarities. And he's the son of a television executive. He's very adept. He knows exactly who's asking him a question. He's going to have name recognition. When, he, when you ask a question, he's going to acknowledge you by name. I always name. hear it. Gary? Right. Or, but, but not just me. Anyone. No, but any, all, anybody all, that's, yeah. yeah. And so 
his social skills are very good. And whether he ends up answering your question directly or not, he's going to talk a lot. And but not he, say anything, he, yeah, right? Okay. But not, but not say anything. That's Pete. But, but, <laughs> but McVeigh will talk a lot. He'll give you a long answer. And he eventually will come back to what your question was and answer it in a direct way. Sometimes it takes a while to get there, but I'd rather be dealing with a coach that's going to at least attempt to give you some insight, even if he's talking in circles at, at some point, he's going to get back to it. You know, And I've never seen him dismiss someone with a question, even what might be considered a ridiculous question. He's never dismissed it. He's, I've never seen him make a reporter or any media member feel like that there wasn't a respect for the job that they were doing. How can somebody so young have a team so good and the respect, at least from the outside, it looks like of everybody on that roster? I think they have a an interesting mix of personalities in there, number one, that lend themselves to that. And I think the fact that he is young, he doesn't really act like it, which I'm not even sure if that's the best description. I've heard a lot of people say he's kind of like an old soul in a young person's body. I think he walks the walk. He talks a lot about communication and whatnot, and I don't think it's something he just preaches. I think when you talk to the players, they do talk to him. Hmm. If they have an issue, they feel comfortable going to him or to the, their assistant coach and working it out. And the fact is, since he's been here, they haven't had a lot of real adversity. I mean, they've had challenges like any team, but they haven't yet been through a long losing streak where that great dynamic in the locker room starts to splinter and people who might otherwise be team first guys all of a sudden become Hmm. more individual. They haven't had to deal with that. Part of that is because of the players that they've got on the team. Part of that is because McVeigh has done a good job keeping them on point. But as someone who's chronicling it, and based off some of the moves they made in the offseason, it has the potential for real drama, which is what we want. Whether it's good, bad, or otherwise, we just want some good drama. It's a lot of fun for me, and I've told the story a lot of times on the podcast, the NFL left me when I was in 10th grade. Mm-hmm. And they, they sucked before that because they were trying to lose on purpose to get out of here. Did you grow up a Rams fan or a Raiders fan? You know, I, I really was more of a college football guy. So SC, UCLA? Yeah, SC, UCLA, followed the college game. I mean, I followed the NFL. I think I went to maybe one Rams game when okay. I was a kid. Probably because not as expensive as it is now, but at that time, it was like an NFL game. Oh, my gosh. So I think I went to one. And, you know, watched it on TV and followed it. But really, I think it was more of a really new college football and was into that. Because I was growing up when SC was at its heyday and UCLA had great teams, too. Mm. So that's just kind of the way it went. How cool is it covering the NFL? It's fun because it's so big. And especially now with fantasy football, people who otherwise never would have been interested are now interested in the people that you're covering. So they ask you at parties, hey, Gary, uh, how's Gurley doing? Yeah, all that stuff. He's on my fantasy team. You know, (laughs) tell McVeigh to give him the ball, whatever it is. So it's fun just because there's so much interest. People are into it. Even as LA builds its market, it's really interesting when you go to places like Chicago. That's an NFL town. The fact that the Bears are doing better, that town is electric, that stadium is insane. I think the Rams are starting to make some inroads there. They've shown, and, and there have been some home crowds that have been great. But Los Angeles is a different market mm-hmm. than any other place. And when I go into other towns, fans will say, how is it in LA? Are people really into it? Where do the Rams rank in terms of popularity? I said, well, you could write anything about the Lakers and it's it's going to blow up. Anything about LeBron, LeBron James yeah. watched the Rams game right. and the Rams exactly. went on to win. Exactly. So I think they're going to fight that just because people yeah. love the Lakers, the Dodgers when they're winning. But I think the Rams, by virtue of they got to the playoffs last year, they made some really high profile moves in the offseason. They've got that new stadium coming. So I think there's an opportunity for them to really capture the LA market and maybe a national kind of fan base, but it's just going to take long. This is a different place. It's a great place to be in LA, but it's it's a different sports market than other places in the country. You get LA. You're from here. Mm -hmm. Where'd you go to high school? 
Went to Mark Keppel High School in Mark Alhambra. Mark Keppel, Alhambra, <laughs> right off the 10 freeway. You know it. That's another thing. Boy, I like, once again, became This Is Your Life, Gary Klein, on the Arrive Early, Leave Late podcast. For people who aren't from L.A. to try to write about L.A., they do a great job for mm-hmm. it. But I just love hearing you because you get extra excited. I see you just got business cards right now, <laughs> right? So if you see your name in the L.A. Times, I know you still get excited 20 years later, right? There was a move about 20 years ago at the Times. I started as a freelancer, and I was a freelancer at the Times for years until I became a Times staff writer. Our bylines used to say, Gary Klein, Times staff writer. And to type that in on whatever you know computer you were using, as someone who grew up in LA and read the Times, that was like, every yeah. time I typed that, it was like, that meant something. And then 20 years ago or something, there was a high management decision that we're not going to have Times staff writer anymore because we're going to be using stuff from other papers. So they eliminated that. So and you can see now our bylines are by Gary Klein, by Bill Plaschke, whatever yeah. it is. For someone, again, who came up from the minor leagues, basically, at the times, that when they took that away, that was something that only someone who I think grew up here in LA and read the times, read the great writers that the, the sports section had, had appreciation for. So kind of missed that. <laughs> well, we're, uh, you know what? That's my duty here. The Rivalry Media <laughs> Podcast with time sports writer Gary Klein, the pride of Mark Keppel, Pasadena City, Cal State LA Eagles, CSUN Matadors, the Kansas City Royals 16th round pick and now covering the Rams for the LA Times. Gary, this is fun. We definitely have to do this again. The Arrive Early Leave Late Podcast, hosted by me, Bethel Duran, producer Dave Wine, engineer by Mike Heflin, Angel Rodriguez is the sports editor. Gary, your social media where people can follow you is? LA Times Klein. Look at you. He would put LA Times in front. LA Times Klein. K-L-E-I-N. The Arrive Early Leave Late Podcast and LA Times Studios production. <laughs>